0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to open up to Acts chapter 16. By way of reminder, last time we took a look, began a look at Paul's second missionary journey, Paul and Silas. You may remember we talked about making a decision to be obedient to God's general will. One Sometimes the struggle that we have as believers is, we're sitting around waiting for God to reveal His specific will in our life. He's already delivered to us His general will, but we're unwilling to get moving. And because we're unwilling to get moving, and we're not moving, we're waiting for Him to give us further. He's waiting for us to get moving, so that He might reveal His specific will to us. What do you mean we know the general will that God has for life? Well, at the end of the book of Matthew, the Lord said, Go into all the nations making disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you, even unto the end of the age. That commandment is given to every follower of Jesus Christ from that point forward. His general will is that we would be being a witness for Him. That we would be being what He wants us to be. One of the things we discovered last time is we began to look at the life of Paul. You remember Paul, he understood God's general will. He knew he needed to be taking the truth of a relationship with Jesus Christ to people who will hear. He knew he needed to be going and doing that. So he gathered up Silas and they started trucking. They started moving. You remember the Lord, in in delivering his specific will to Paul, began to set up roadblocks in his way. You remember? He put a roadblock in Paul's way. As Paul's heading north, what does he do? He slows down enough to turn. But he's still moving. Then the Lord sets another roadblock in his way. He slows down enough to turn. The only direction left for him to go. He went that direction. It was there when he went to that place that God revealed his specific will. He gave him a vision. A man in Macedonia saying, come help us. Now Paul's got a specific. But I I would say that that specific comes as a result of being obedient to the general, rather than the other way around. Sometimes we are waiting, and I'm not sure always what we're waiting for. God has given us a commission. And if we want the particulars we want the specifics then we need to move we need to start moving forward we need to start doing what God has asked us to do generally and that's what Paul was obedient to you remember he found himself coming to a place called Philippi there was no uh, synagogue there so he couldn't start in the synagogue so he went down to the place where the people used to go to pray And as he went down to the place where the people go to pray, there he runs into a woman. You remember her name? She was Lydia, a seller of purple. She was from Thyatira. She probably ran the guild of the the purple dye down there in Philippi. She was a wealthy woman who owned her own place. Unheard of in those days. And Paul finds her. The scripture tells us that he began to share with her. He just sat down and talked. He didn't preach. He just talked. He just shared what Jesus Christ had done in his life. That's something we can all do, by the way. You don't need Bible college. You don't need a, a degree. You don't need anything other than a willingness to say, I will share what Jesus means to me. The Bible tells us that as he shared with Lydia, the Lord opened her heart and she believed. She put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And immediately, the Bible tells us, she was baptized. Her and her whole household. So her whole house gets saved. Whoever was with her, whoever was a part, servants, what have you, that were a part of her house, they came down to the river and they were baptized. What's Paul doing? He's fulfilling God's general will, isn't he? His general will, going to all the world, making disciples. He shared his faith. She believed. What's the second part? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what's he do? He's baptizing her. What do we see occurring in Lydia's life is a change occurs. Something changes in her life. Her life changes, and, and what occurs is she goes and she says to Paul and to Silas and to Timothy and to Luke, four guys she didn't know until that day, And she says, I'd like to open up my house to you. Got this big old house, lots of rooms. Great opportunity for us to be able to do some outreach and stuff. So she opens up her house. Her life is transformed. Her life changes. The first church in Europe is founded. And it begins in a woman named Lydia's house as she gives her life to Christ. What do we see Lydia doing? We see Lydia moving. She's not standing around, she's not waiting for more education or more opportunities. She has put her faith in Christ, she's putting her money where her mouth is. She's making a decision, she's using the things that she has to glorify the Lord, to make an opportunity. So Paul and Silas, Luke and Timothy base their operations in Lydia's house, and they continue going down to the riverside to talk to people about the Lord. And as they're going, you remember, they come upon the number two encounter that we see in Philippi. The number two encounter in Philippi is a little slave girl. Now, the slave girl was possessed by a demon, and the people who owned her used that as an opportunity for them to make money. Selling tickets to the freak show. Come see the girl, she'll tell you your future. Come see this demon work and speak through this... Through this girl. And so as the, Paul and Silas and them are going down to the river, they are passing the place where the slave girl and her owners are. And every day the slave girl points them out and says, Look, the followers of the most high God who, who show the way to salvation. And it just bugs Paul. It bugs him because nobody ever wants the devil in charge of, of their advertising. It may be good for a moment or two. The devil may tell truth out of one side of his mouth. What's he do out of the other side? He lies. That's what he does. So, we see the, 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 the devil there trying to infiltrate the church, and she's trying to give witness as a demon-possessed little girl that nobody cares about. But Paul is, is walking in obedience to the Spirit. I know he's only responding to the spirit because it says she did this for several days. For several days he walks by her. For several days he's getting irritated. Finally, the spirit says, now. And Paul looks over and he says he casts out the demon from within her because he is the only person in that whole town that cared about that girl. Everybody else just wanted to make a buck. He casts out the demon and immediately the guys who owned her had no value in her anymore. Was there a radical transformation in her life? Did her life look the same? Her life's not ever going to be the same again. And she becomes member number two of the first church in Europe of the church of Philippi. One, Lydia, wealthy woman with her own house. Number two, a little slave girl, demon possessed that nobody cared about. See, that's what happens when people begin to move. God begins to pour out his spirit. And things change. Things happen. Things move. Well, what we see next is the two guys that owned the slave girl are are irritated. They can't make a buck off her no more. So they go and they drag Paul and Silas before the magistrates. Because it was illegal for a Jew to proselytize or try to teach some other new religion to a Roman. So they say, these guys are trying to teach us new religion. They're Jews. They're guilty. No trial. No conversation. They beat them with rods, strip them naked, beat them with rods, and throw them in jail. And that's where we left them. In jail. Let's pick it up in Acts chapter 16 and see what the Lord has for us this afternoon. We'll begin in verse 22. It says, then the multitude rose up together against them. And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. And having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awakened from sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, and supposing that the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But, call, but Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, we are all here. And he called for a light, and ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household and when it was day the magistrates sent the officers saying let those men go so the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying the magistrates have sent to you to let you go now therefore depart and go in peace but Paul said to them they have beaten us openly uncondemned Romans and have thrown us into prison and now they want to put us out secretly no you let them come themselves and get us out And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them if they would depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, Father, just let us see, let us... Let us acquire for ourselves the truth, God, in your word this morning, Lord, as we just look, we just want to see, Lord, how your spirit moves today. God, that we would see the the movement and the working and the surrender, Lord God, and the Father, that we would make that choice, that it would be us. Lord, we pray that you would anoint this time with your presence, that you would open our eyes to see, that you would help me clearly be able to Lay out your truth, God, that you would be magnified in this place as we give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We see Paul and Silas now at this point refusing to be discouraged. We saw his response to the Holy Spirit, right? He's moving. The Holy Spirit's closing doors. He's still moving. And the Holy Spirit guides him and leads him. He responds. As he responds, he's then led to a place where he reaches out, right? He reaches out. Who gets saved? Lydia gets saved. Then who gets saved? Little slave girl. And now we come to a point here in Acts chapter 16 where they refuse to be discouraged. The devil first tries to join the church. Second, he brings persecution. Always works that way. Always works that way. The persecution comes. The Bible tells that they snatched up Paul and Silas. Only them. Why? Because they're Jews. Luke and Timothy, they're Gentiles. So they snatch those guys up and they beat them. And they turn them over to the jailer. And the jailer doesn't care about them at all. He doesn't doesn't care about them one iota. It says that he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. They're laying on their back, chained up, bound up. But all week I've been chewing on verse 25, because verse 25 says, But at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns unto the Lord, and the prisoners were listening to them. So the prison would be set up like this. There would be this walled area, inside that walled area would be the outer court. In the outer court, there's a little more freedom for those prisoners, though they were still encircled by the wall of the prison. Then you had the inner court. The inner court had no windows. It's like solitary confinement. They'd open up a door, throw you in there, lock you in the stocks, lock the door. But the other prisoners, they were all around that outside. And as they're all around the outside, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were doing two things, praying and singing praying and singing you see the scripture lays out for us that we have to when we if we don't want to be discouraged if we want to live lives of empowerment and and we owe it to ourselves we owe it to ourselves to pass on to the next generation the truth and the reality of the power that is found in christ jesus the reality is and the problem is within most churches is that's just words And nobody really experiences the power of God working in their life. Or not very many. And so we think this is just a thing we do. It's a a social club. We come and we hang out, but there's no real power. And that's why droves of young people are leaving the church right and left. Because they come to taste and see, but they're not modeled the reality and the truth of the power that is in Christ Jesus. Maybe because... The majority of the church is not in motion. Maybe because the majority of the church doesn't understand. See, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, there's this passionate fire that begins to burn in our soul. A desire to share our faith. It takes a while for that fire to cool, but that fire cools as a direct result of not being stoked up. To stoke up the fire of passion in our heart, we have to be in motion. We have to be doing God's general will. We have to start putting ourselves out there. We got to go. But we don't. We sit still. We're afraid. We got a choice every day to live our life by one of two emotions, fear or faith. You got to decide. How am I going to live today? Fear or faith? How am I going to live tomorrow? Fear or faith? You live by one of those two. If you're proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ and reflecting Him, you're living by faith. If you're not doing anything, you're living by fear. As the church is called to move, we are to reflect Jesus Christ. We're to reflect His glory. When people see us, they say, see Him. But the reality is, when people look at the church, they don't see Jesus Christ, they see a reflection of the world. And it's not supposed to be that way. The church is not just supposed to reflect the world. The church is not just supposed to look just like everybody else. The church is supposed to be that place full of transformed lives and the empowerment of Jesus Christ to go, move, be, and do what God's asking us to do. But the church... The church often has lost the fire and stopped moving and begins to reflect the world. And people look and say, Why do I want that? It's just like everything else. Why do I want that? Divorce rate's the same in a church as it is outside the church. There's just as many people cheating on their wives in the church as there are out of the church. Just as many people living out of wedlock in the church as they're out of the church. What does the church have to offer? Where is the power of the church? But the church is reflecting the wrong thing. We're reflecting the wrong thing. We've got to make a choice. We've got to make a decision. That decision that says, I'm going to remember the purposes of God. I need to remember the purposes of God if I'm going to keep the fires of passion stoked in my life. You remember last time we talked a little bit about Isaiah 55. Flip over there. We're going we're to cruise through Isaiah 55 real quick on our way through Acts 16. It only makes sense. I encourage you guys to come there with me. Remember. We talked about this last time. Remembering the purposes of God. Is there a possibility? Is there the remotest possibility that what you think God is like is not at all what God is like? Do you think that you somehow and with your mind could say, I found myself saying this, a loving God would never do that. A loving God would never allow this. We struggle in those areas. Why? Because we think with our finite minds, we've got God figured out. Is there some possibility that you really don't? That you're trying to figure out God with a mind that is unable? Let's think about what the Word of God has to tell us. Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. For you you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine, which equals joy, and milk, which equals growth, without money and without price. First the Lord says, come unto me, all who are thirsty... It says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me, all you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. It's the same thing. The Lord is saying, what you lack in your life is found with me. If that's not your reality, if that's not the reality of who you are, perhaps you're reflecting the world, and you're not reflecting Christ. Perhaps you're reflecting some other concept, or some God created in your own image. But is it the God of the Bible? For look at what God's word declares. In verse 2 he says, Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Well that pretty much sums up my life. You look, I think I need the next best thing. And I'll go out and I'll buy the next best thing. And it'll be about a week or two or a month or two or a year. But at some point it loses its luster. It no longer satisfies. And I want something else. He says, why do you do that? Why do you spend money for what is not bread? Why are you casting effort after that which will not satisfy or fill you? But we sometimes think, well listen, God would never require this, or God would never require that, or God's not really asking for this, or God's not really asking for that. Meanwhile, we don't even have the ability to satisfy our own longings. We spend a majority of our life unsatisfied, chasing that which does not fill, filling cisterns of water that are broken, full of water, only to watch it all leak out. So, what does the Lord say? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Again, the Lord says, Come to me, I'll give you what you lack. But if we're honest, most of us, guys, most of us in our faith would say, that's not been my reality. My reality has not been that. Is it possible that the reason your reality has not been that is because you are creating a God in your own image? And not the God of the Bible. A God who wouldn't do that, or wouldn't say this, or wouldn't require that. He says, come to me. Listen carefully, and eat what is good, what satisfies. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Jesus said if we come to Him, He gives us the abundant life. Has the abundant life been what you've experienced? Because if it hasn't, perhaps you're reflecting the world, and not Christ. We want to reflect Christ. He says, incline your ear and come to me. Here, and your soul will live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Was David a perfect man? The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart, but was he perfect? Not at all. We know he sinned. God is promising you and I an everlasting covenant, an everlasting promise, a promise that lasts forever, based on what? The mercies of David. That though David wasn't a perfect man, that David wasn't a sinless man, God said he's a man after my own heart. David reflecting Christ. Becomes a picture of Christ throughout Scripture. Are we reflecting Christ or do we reflect the world? When people look at us, do they see the things Jesus said? Do they hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do they desire the water that we're drinking? Do they say, I want what you have? Or do they look at you and say, well, you and me, were are just the same. You don't have anything to offer me. Scripture goes on to tell us, indeed, I have given Him as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people, and surely... You shall call a nation you do not know and nations who do not know you shall run into you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you, the people being a witness for who Jesus Christ is. He says, nations you don't know are going to come to you. People you don't know are going to see me in you. People are going to want to be glorified or glorify the Lord God Almighty as they look at God being glorified in your life. Is that our reality? Because that's the reality of Acts chapter 16. That's the reality of the book of Acts. Sometimes men like to comfort themselves. They heap up for themselves theologians who will say that's a different dispensation and God's not working that way anymore. And I say baloney. We tell those stories to ourselves to comfort ourselves when we're unwilling to take a look at myself and say maybe I need to repent. And am I reflecting Christ in my life, or am I reflecting the world? Look what the Lord says in verse 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Yeah, I, I say that is for everyone. He's not just calling to the lost to seek the Lord. He is saying, those of you who have given your life to Jesus Christ, you need to be about seeking the Lord while He may be found. Every day. Are you seeking Him? Every morning, are you going after Him? Are you saying, Lord, what do you have for me today? Or do we find ourselves in complacency? We find ourselves worrying more about the stripes on our back and the things that our feet are locked up in, the bondage that we're facing, the struggle that we have with financial difficulties. If we want to not be moved by our circumstances, if we want to be able to remember the purposes of God, then we've got to seek the Lord. Seek Him. It means you actually have to do something. Not just sit around. It talks about looking. Like a man would look for a treasure. If someone told you there was a treasure, millions of dollars buried out in your fields, I promise the way you seek after that treasure might be different than the way you seek after the Lord. But that's the same thing he's talking about. Seek after the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Call upon the Lord. And then he gives us two very practical things. He says, let the wicked forsake his way. Before we go too much further, is there anybody here who thinks they're not wicked? Because the word of God declares unto us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things, and who can know it? Jeremiah declared. So there is that wickedness within man. That's just, that's all of us. That's each and every one of us. But what is he asking us to do? What is the wicked to do? Forsake his way. You see, we say, I come to Christ, but I can still do this. I come to Christ, I can still do that. I come to Christ, and I still have freedom for this. I come to Christ, and I still have freedom for that. And we fill ourselves with all this stuff that just holds us back. And the Lord says, let the wicked man forsake His way. Change your direction. It's not about what you're free to do. It's about are you willing to seek the Lord or not? If your freedom is more important to you than the Lord, then I would say you have created a God in your own image. One who agrees with the way you think. And that may not be the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible calls the wicked to forsake his ways. The second practical thing, the unrighteous man is thoughts. Is there anybody who thinks he's not unrighteous? Look, apart from the righteousness of Christ, we are all unrighteousness. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become righteous. The only way you can be righteous is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what is the unrighteous man supposed to do? Change his thoughts. Change the way you think. We need to think biblically. We need to think what the Word of God teaches. He says, Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Sometimes I think we... We take God and we put Him in that box, that special image that fits for us. And we pack Him in there and we, we say, that God's not going to judge me for what I do. God's not going to judge me for what I say. God's not going to judge me for any of these things. And we're so worried about the judgment of God. Nowhere in this are you going to find the judgment of God. What you're going to find in this chapter is God offering salvation, is God offering abundance of life, is God offering thirst, drink for those who are thirsty, and food for those who are hungry. Yet we live a life that is not empowered by the truth of God's Word because we don't claim them. We don't cling to them. We don't think that that we're wicked and we need to forsake our ways. We don't think we're unrighteous and we need to forsake our thoughts. We just continue to make excuses. We want to be able to not be discouraged in our relationship with Christ. And we have to remember the purposes of God. Why does he say these things? Look at the end of verse 7. He says, let him return to the Lord. And he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon Look, God doesn't tell us these things to make us feel bad and, and make us pout and whine and complain. He tells us these things so we'll repent, turn, change, go to the Lord and say, God, forgive me, I, I've been, that's what I've been doing, forgive me. And what's God say? I'll forgive you. And I'll pardon you. And I'll save you. And I'll empower you. And the church, once again, will be able to move in the empowerment that the church ought to have. Because she makes the choice to follow the Lord. What's he say in verse 8? For my ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Sometimes we think we have God all figured out. We know exactly what He's like and exactly what He wants to do. But if you don't want to be discouraged by the lack of power in your life, you don't want to be discouraged by the storms and the struggles that you face, then you've got to remember the purposes of God. The purpose of God is not only to save you, but to make you holy. Not just to leave you where you're at. Not just to excuse your sin. But to set you free, to set you apart, to set you away. So they began to pray, and they began to sing. And the scripture says that the prisoners were listening. In verse 25, the prisoners were listening. That means the prisoners were were excited to hear what was going on. How could this possibly be? So here we have two men refusing to be discouraged, remembering the purposes of God, and then relying on God's power. They didn't have to do nothing, they just sing and praise and rely on what God's going to do. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep, and seeing the doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice and said, do yourself no harm, for we, what? are all here. Where? Where'd they go? He looked and he saw the doors open. He didn't see no prisoners. Where were they? They went into the inner prison. They went deeper into the dungeon. They went into where men were praying and singing and filled with the power of God because they wanted what they had. That's the reality of the church. That's the reality of a life Following Christ, committed to Christ, submitted to Christ. That's its reality. People hear, people see, and then when the doors are open and a prisoner's got a get out of jail free card, they went deeper into the jail. They didn't run away. Those guys weren't there for parking violations. The Romans didn't put you in prison just to slap you on the wrist, they put you in prison to put you to death. Do your time, pay your debt, or we'll just nail you to a cross. Their get out of jail free card happened, but they didn't care about that. They didn't want that. They wanted what was happening in the deeper part. They wanted what was being evidenced in the life of Paul and Silas. Somehow the jailer, he, he wakes up, the earthquakes. the doors are open. He looks into the outer court where the prisoners were and nobody's there. So he's getting ready to fall on a sword. And he hears a cry because Paul and Silas aren't going anywhere. Their feet are where? Their feet are in the stocks. They're in the inner prison. Hey, we're not, we haven't gone anywhere. We're all here. So what's the scripture tell us? What's the jailer do? The jailer says, he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. A little while ago, he didn't even care that their backs were beaten and they were bloody. He just locked them in the stocks, threw the key on the, on the counter and went to bed. But now, he comes running in, drops on the ground, trembling. Shaking. Why? He's shaking because he can't believe the power of abundant life that he sees in the life of these two guys that are beaten and looks at all these prisoners who are gathered around them. You have a jailer, prisoners, and two guys locked in stocks all circled around these two guys. That's dramatic change in the world. Is that not dramatic change? Have you ever been in prison? Let's let all the prisoners go and throw the jailer inside. You tell me what's going to happen. They just all going to huddle around and sing Kumbaya? Man, there was radical change happening. You have prisoners and their jailer all around Paul and Silas because they want what Paul and Silas have. And it was more important than the differences between them. Everybody in the world is looking for a dramatic change where there can be love and peace. And folks, it will only be found under one name, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. Now other people will say, no, under the name of Jesus Christ, countless wars have been fought. People have been killing people. That weren't people who were reflecting Christ. They were reflecting the world. Jesus said, Repay no one evil for evil. Love your enemies. Feed them. Care for them. Overcome evil with good. That's what Jesus said. That's reflecting Christ. Anything else, I don't care whose name you do it in, is not reflecting the truth. The devil knows how to do things too, right? So we have these guys all gathered together. He falls down before him. It says he brought them out. He let them out of the stocks. And he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe. Now what were they asking him to do there? Because some people think all they're asking for is a profession of faith. Do you believe in God? James said the demons believe in God and tremble. Believing that God exists saves nobody. What is he saying when he says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in all your family? He's saying believe. Put your weight into God. Put yourself into him. Give yourself to him. Surrender. Not commit. Surrender. The commitments we can break. Surrender. You're surrendered. It's all his. Surrendering unto him. What is it that James said? Faith without what? Works is? Does work save us? No. Well, what's the works? The works is evidence of a changed life. It means your life changes. Things change. It doesn't just stay the same. Otherwise, you're reflecting the world, and you're not reflecting Christ and the reality of a changed life. A life that says, I'm different, I'm no longer the same. So, what's it say? They spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in his house, and he took them that same hour of night and washed their stripes. What's the evidence of the changed life in the jailer? Now he's washing the back of Paul and Silas. He didn't care about them a little while ago. They're just another prisoner. But he pulls them out and he's scrubbing their back. Probably in the mikvot, perhaps in the river. But he's scrubbing their back. He cleans them. He cleans them in that body of water. And then what's he say? Right after he cleans them, he, he washes their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. What would hinder us from being baptized? What was the general will of God? To make disciples of who? All men. Doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what else? Teaching them the things Jesus commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Isn't that what Paul's doing here? That's exactly what he's doing. He baptizes. He teaches. It says, now when he had brought them into his house, he put food before him and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Now the prisoners are back into prison. But Paul and Silas, he took into his house. He brought them to his house. Is that to change the life of a jailer? How often do you think jailers are hanging out with prisoners? Probably not all that often, right? But here they are. He's hanging out. They're gathered together. The keeper of the prison has these men in his house. In verse 35 it says, Now when it was day, the magistrate sent officers saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison, he's kind of stoked. He comes to Paul and Silas and says, Hey, they're letting you go. And Paul says, nuh-uh. What do you mean, nuh-uh? Well, listen, they arrested us in public, they beat us in public, and now the public thinks we're guilty. And we are Romans. Now that kind of shook things up. They were pretty sure they were Jews, which they were, but they were also Roman citizens. What did that mean? A Roman citizen could not be beaten or flogged without a trial, could not be imprisoned without a trial, under penalty of death. So the people who beat them now have the same penalty hung over their heads. And Paul says, you have them, those guys who beat us and sentenced us, come here and get us. Bring us out to the square and publicly let us go. So that the public knows we're not guilty. Why? Because there's a brand new church. And who's the members of the brand new church? A wealthy woman who just moved all in and made church in her house. A poor slave girl who nobody cared about, who was demon possessed, a jailer, and maybe even a few prisoners. First church in Europe. The church empowered. The church to bring change. That's going to bring the whole Roman emperor, empire, to its knees. That's the power of the true church. Is that the power of our reality? They brought him out to the square. They cut him loose. They let him go. They asked him nicely. You can read it. It says, Then they came and pleaded with them, and brought them out and asked them to depart the city. Uh, Mr. Paul, will you please go? And Paul said, No. But thanks for asking. So he went out to prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. He went and encouraged the brethren, encouraged the church. This is the real church. If this isn't our experience, it's not because the Bible's wrong. It's because there's something wrong in us. Because we try to put God somehow, in some way, in our own image. And that's not ever going to work. It's not ever going to happen. We have to make a decision that we're going to come to the Lord His way. If we want to experience the truth of everything that Jesus Christ has for us. Of all that He wants to give us. Of all that he wants to deliver, the empowerment to be the people God wants us to be. I'm going to tell you guys a story. And then after that, I'm going to sing a song and we'll close out service. But um, when I tell you the story, I just want you to hear what God's saying. A long time ago, there was a guy who was a coal miner. Really no great significance about him. But as he was going to work, he started to feel the call of God. The direction of God. A burden on his heart that, that God had a plan for him. There was something he was supposed to be doing. So he didn't really know what it was. He decided that he would begin to fulfill God's general plan. Making disciples of all men. Sharing his faith. So he stood on a street corner and began to preach. That was in Wales. Something called the Welsh Revival broke out. One of the greatest revivals of all time. Because one coal miner said, I think I need to be in motion. So, people started getting saved. And they started feeling this urge that we got to be doing something. They were filled with passion. The fires in their heart were burning. They wanted to share their faith somewhere, be somewhere, do something. So little by little they started to get sent out here and there. And, And a group went up to northern India. And they came to a village up in northern India. It was a pretty barbaric village. And they went into this village. And they began to share. There's just one family, a very prominent family, in this village in northern India. They began to share their faith with them, and the whole family got saved. Just like what we're reading in the book of Acts. They got saved. The chief of that village was mad. He was angry about what had occurred and what was going on. So the chief of the village went and grabbed that family, and they brought them down into the center of the village, to the center place that had a meeting and he put the family down there and says, look, I don't like this new religion, this new thing that's going on. I don't really believe that there's anything to this, and I want you to recant your faith. I want you to recant your faith, or I will kill your children. So the man looked at his children, and he told them, I love you, but I have decided to follow Jesus. And with that, the warriors loosed their arrows and killed his kids. The chief said, hey, I'll give you another chance. If you do not recant your faith in Christ, I am going to kill your wife. And he looked over at his wife and he said, I love you. But well, I have decided to follow Jesus. And with that, they loosed the arrow and killed his wife. Then the chief said, I'm going to give you one more chance to save yourself. If you don't recant your faith, I'm going to kill you next. And the man said, though none go with me, still I will follow and they killed him couple months later a chief is plagued absolutely plagued by the display of faith that he saw in his own village and he called all the people together and he gathered them all in that same square and he came down to the square and he said listen I I gotta, I gotta tell you guys I, I, I'm having a hard time dealing with, with what we experienced a couple of months ago with this family And he brought them all together in that place and he told them I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Out of that circumstance they wrote an old hymn. Maybe some of you know it. You look up where that hymn comes from. They'll say they don't know the name of the guy who wrote it, but he was martyred in India with his family for the cause of Christ. True story. The whole thing. Absolute truth. How'd that all start? That whole village came to Christ, that whole village was changed. God's ways aren't our ways, are they? His thoughts aren't our thoughts. That's what makes him God. He's able to bring something good out of all that. And it all started with one coal miner, insignificant, inconspicuous, nobody would pick him out of a group, saying, I think I'm supposed to be in motion. I think I'm supposed to be doing something. I think what I'm experiencing in my relationship with Christ isn't all there is. That's where it all started. So this morning I'm going to sing that song. And as I sing that song, this is what I'm asking for. If you want to be that man, if you want to be that person who says, I, I think I'm supposed to be motion." I think I'm supposed to be doing something. I just want you to come up front. I'm not trying to guilt anybody into coming. I'm not trying to make everybody come. I'm just saying, if the Lord is speaking to you and saying, you're that guy, I want you to be that person, that woman, that boy, that girl. I want you to be that person. And you know he's telling you that, then I want you to come up. If he's not telling you that, then I want to pray for you. But as we have that time, I just want to, I'm just going to sing the song. And as the Lord moves on your heart, I want to invite you to come. We'll sing the song together. And we'll pray and close out service.